0: Hello, and welcome to bonus episode five of The Family Cookbook from Paper to People's Foodie Branch. My name is Carolyn Lachlan, your hostess with the mostest, and I'm instituting a new section in the show today, which I hope that we will have from now on, the Genie News. I'll do my best to keep you abreast of interesting items, book releases, trends and movements in genealogy and family history here, and then we'll get to the meat of the episode. Today in the Genie News, Kenyatta Berry, one of the hosts of PBS's Genealogy Roadshow, has just released a book for beginning U.S. genealogists. It's called The Family Tree Toolkit, and it's an all-purpose, easy-to-follow guide for all kinds of online resources, It's large format and has a wonderful graphic layout that I find very easy to read and to follow. I'm really glad I got a copy, and I'm not even a beginner, so I definitely recommend that you get yourself a copy as well. Our own Christopher Harris from Episode 17, listen to that interview if you haven't yet. He is such a great guy, is starting his own project. He says it's a group for Black millennials to preserve their family histories, stories, and legacies. We are the last generation born in the 20th century to remember our great-grandparents who remembered their grandparents' stories about slavery and sharecropping. I'm so afraid much of that history will be forgotten or not passed down. By the end of this century, my goal will be making genealogy accessible and real to black millennials, connecting them to resources to further enhance their skill sets and tool belts with the mission to preserve 19th and 20th century black culture and genealogy. I think it sounds fantastic, and if you're interested in getting involved with what Christopher is starting, please go to my website and let me know on the contact form there at ancestorsalivegenealogy.com. I will forward your information to Christopher, and he'll get back with you. Black ProGen has a fantastic new resource icon set for online tree profiles to help you denote who's who when you're just looking at your tree. It's especially helpful for trees including enslaved and free persons of color, Native Americans, and slaveholders. You can find those at goo.gl slash capital Z, small w, small i, capital A, small t, capital X. The New York Public Library has an incredible blog, as you would expect, and it has a genealogy section under its history section with both New York-centered and more general articles. If you haven't checked it out yet, head to nypl.org blog subject 778 to see what's there. You might find something you need. Find My Past UK has just released over half a million marriage licenses online this past weekend, so a great destination for those with UK ancestry is dot slash small t, capital X, one, small y, two, small i. The data request form is so simple, it's really fantastic. And last in the news, I have made some changes. To the first year of this podcast and to launch into the second with some freshness. The biggest one is that as of a couple of days ago, the Facebook group is now accessible only to those who join my Patreon army for a dollar per month or more. It's not about excluding people from the Facebook group, it's more about wanting to give my Patreon subscribers every perk that I possibly could, and it seemed like a sensible way to do that, given the level of activity in the Facebook group. So that's a standard for them rather than a free option for anyone from now on. We have 125 members, and the discussions are getting more lively all the time, so I hope you will consider supporting the podcast at patreon.com slash Alive. And remember, if you join for $15 per month by December 15th, you will get swag for a New Year's present. Yes, you will. Some of it arrived in the mail today already, and it's looking good. Now, for those of you who celebrated Thanksgiving, I need to know, have you finished your leftovers? Because I I only finished mine yesterday for breakfast. I was still eating my andouille and cornbread dressing as of yesterday morning at about seven. The bittersweet chocolate pudding pie with just a hint of orange went fast into my mouth, like directly, as did the turkey and the gravy made with Fumé wine. Yes, I am that fancy, but I made so much dressing that there was some in the freezer. And for days, I was eating it as a main course. So I don't feel guilty recording a Thanksgiving episode in the first week or so of December. I don't even feel guilty at all. How traditional was your meal this year? Do you have family traditions? Do you do magazine traditions? Do you eat the foods that people claim the pilgrims ate or any of that classic propaganda? The food for this episode comes from the November 27, 1895 issue of the Boston Globe. And having compared it with a 1908 issue of an El Paso, Texas paper, I was really shocked at the regional differences and the regional similarities in holiday food by this time in American history. It was only a little over a century after the country's first census in 1790, but the differences due to local tradition and probably weather were really the things that struck me. El Paso provided a menu of applesauce, cranberry sauce, sweet and sour pickles, French peas, roast turkey, boiled ham, chicken salad, salmon salad, sweet potatoes, Irish potatoes, and corn pudding, mince pie, brandied peaches, pound cake, and nuts. That's all one table. They even provided a table diagram to show where to put what plate because they asserted that you should have all the food out all at once just so everybody knew that they were going to get fed, which I think is hilarious. Like, anybody would be worried about this. It's not a very British-influenced table, though. In fact, it actually sounds pretty modern to me. And from what my dad, who was a child of Texas, says... It sounds kind of like something that would have been served to him in the 1940s. Then I read the Boston Globe. It is so New England and so traditional, and that's why I chose it for our Thanksgiving episode, or should I say our post-Thanksgiving episode, our leftovers episode. I hope you find it as interesting as I did. It starts with a discussion of various cakes, which are actually more like cookies, The thing that I found intriguing when reading it was that the author on this housewife's page, this page that tells you how to be the best possible housewife you can be, harked back to its own prior era. So remember, we're listening to or we're reading 1895. And in 1895, it said, in old days, that is half a century ago. The proper accompaniment for a dessert of sweets was a whipped syllabub or a snow cream, and the verbatim recipes given for both these dainties are of the same date as the directions given for the cakes and pies. All belong to a cuisine of 50 years ago. The absence of soda, saleratus, which is sodium bicarbonate, and baking powders in the cake recipes will be noticed. Our grandmothers found them difficult to procure women were often forced to get cooking alkali by burning corn cobs. Other cooks not so squeamish used clean white wood ashes, pressed fine and dissolved in boiling water. It is not singular, then, that their reliance was placed upon yeast and thorough mixing and beating of ingredients, yet theirs were loaded tables, boards that groaned with a weight of good things to eat it was not at all remarkable to find each and every pie and cake set forth in these recipes placed on the table at one time at thanksgiving or even at quilting feasts or carried out and served to 50 or more men at corn huskings in the great granary barns of those days and all baked by the good wife herself and her daughters sweetened breads were as much made as were cakes proper you hear what i'm hearing she was talking about baking in the 1840s. I don't know about you, but I have no accounts of baking or cooking from the 1840s in my family. I thought this was very interesting and really cool to be able to get hold of this from a newspaper account. So then we go down to the recipes and There's a sample menu just like there was in the El Paso paper. So somebody in Somerville, Massachusetts, submitted this as a sample menu. Roast turkey, cranberry sauce, roast goose, applesauce, chicken pie, mashed potatoes, squab, onions, celery, bread and butter, plum pudding, mince pie, apple pie, pumpkin pie, custard pie, pickles, olives, tomato ketchup... Raisins, nuts, tea, and coffee. Okay, now we need to stop. We just need to stop there for a minute because I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. I don't care where or when you come from. I don't care what kind of pilgrim hat you're wearing. You're not coming near my table if you're carrying a bottle of flippin' tomato ketchup and you expect to get near my turkey. That ain't happening, okay? Are we clear? All right, okay, so there's that. But they're talking, listen to all these birds, turkey and goose and squab, dude, I guess they must have been small birds, because you'd need a bunch of them. So like, wow. But if you think about the menu, this sounds like the kind of traditional Thanksgiving that Americans expect to have. And this whole kind of salmon salad and chicken salad and boiled ham, Mm, I don't know. There's a lot that doesn't match. So this is a much heavier meal and that does make sense for a colder weather area of the country. Also, we're reaching directly back over the ocean and we're going back to a far more British type of eating habit, you know? So here we go. Thanksgiving cranberry jelly. Wash one quart cranberries, put into a porcelain kettle with pint of water and pound of sugar. Boil 20 minutes and press through a fruit strainer into a mold that has been rinsed with cold water. When cool, this should form a perfect mold of crimson jelly. Now, <laughs> I argue with my dad about the cranberry every year, the cranberry sauce. And I always lose, so the argument is a pro forma thing. He's always going to win. He likes the kind that comes out of the can that goes schlup when it hits the plate, Okay. And that's basically what they're asking you to make here. The one that I was taught to make was cranberries, lemons, and oranges whole. And it was an uncooked one. And you put everything, except you take the seeds out of the citrus fruit, into the food processor with some sugar. You leave the peels in there and everything. And you whazz it until it is unwhazzable any further. And it's really, really good. He won't do that, though. He likes the the schwuppy, fluppy. So this this he would love. Dressing for turkey. Soak baker's bread in water and milk 15 minutes or till soft. Add a pinch of salt, a piece of butter, little pepper, and one or two tablespoons of turkey seasoning, according to the quantity of bread. If the turkey is strong after the dressing is in, before serving up, peel one onion and lay at the end of the turkey. It will absorb the odor. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Now, that tells you that they were going out there and hunting for their own turkeys, and the turkeys were maybe a little bit gamey because that's what I'm, it's an odorous, strong turkey. Yikes. We're spoiled by our butter ball. Here's an alternate dressing for turkey. mix stale bread or pounded cracker with butter, salt, pepper, and an egg. Add summer savory, a little sage, If desired, chopped oysters may be added. Mix all together, adding a little warm water if necessary for wetting. And then I gather you're supposed to stick that in the turkey and roast the turkey. Okay, now we cross the ocean blue to go to some truly English recipes, in particular English plum pudding, which has no plums in it. I don't understand that, but here we go. Chop one-half pound suet rubbed to a cream. Add a scant one-half pound sugar and three eggs well beaten. Mix teaspoon cloves, half teaspoon mace, half teaspoon salt, and one nutmeg grated with one-half pound flour. Add this to the first mixture, alternately with one cup milk. Add half pound seeded raisins, one-half pound currants, three-eighths of a pound citron, and one-quarter cup of brandy steam six or eight hours. Cream the suet and sugar with the hands, which is weird with your hands. Add the beaten eggs. Mix flour and spice together. Butter may be used as well as suet. Add flour and spice to the creamed sugar and suet and eggs. Turn into any kind of mold and steam. The longer the better. It will keep from Thanksgiving to Christmas and longer if not eaten before and only needs re-steaming to make it like new. Elegant and reliable. I will be darned if that doesn't sound like two recipes shoved together, but whatever. Now there are two different sauces that you can put on that. First, there is sauce. Just sauce. Cream one quarter cup butter. Add one half cup sugar. Two tablespoons wine. Two tablespoons cream. Warm slightly and serve. Warm bowl by pouring hot water into it, leaving it there a minute. Cream butter and add sugar. Using a wooden spoon, add thin cream very slowly. If you do not add wine, use more cream. Sometimes it will curdle, but that will come out when warmed. Slower it is beaten, the nicer it will be. When all cream is used, take four tablespoons. Very awkward writing. Now there's a brandy sauce. Ooh. Cream one half cup of butter and beat in gradually one cup of light brown sugar. Then add slowly one quarter cup of brandy. Just before serving, heat the sauce a little over hot water, beat well, add a slight grating of nutmeg, and serve at once. Measure the butter solid. If one hasn't light brown sugar, use powdered sugar. Have bowl in which to cream the butter by pouring in hot water and immediately pouring it out. Cream the butter with a wooden spoon. The juice of canned fruits and cream may be used instead of brandy and a very delicate flavor obtained. Mm -hmm. Now this is really interesting. Baked Indian pudding. The Thanksgiving pudding was oftener the baked Indian pudding, beloved of all New Englanders, than the plum pudding. The recipe was to boil a quart of milk and turn it on a pint of sifted Indian meal. Guess what Indian meal is? Ding, 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 cornmeal. That's right, for those of you who said that. Stirring in well so as to scald the meal, then mix two tablespoons of flour with a pint of milk. Turn it on the meal. Mix the whole well together. When lukewarm, add three beaten eggs, three tablespoons of brown sugar, two of melted butter, or finely chopped suet, one teaspoon of salt, and two of cinnamon. If the pudding is desired rich, add half a pound of raisins, and in that case, allow an extra pint of milk as they absorb a good deal. If whey is desired, use skim milk and molasses in place of sugar. Allow two hours in a slow oven for baking. If made without eggs, allow another hour. It sounds like a kind of glorified cornbread. Kind of interesting. Now, mince pies. Doesn't everybody always want to know what mince pies are? Because I swear, I don't know anybody who's ever eaten one. But here we go. One and one half pounds meat. After it is boiled, chop fine. Add one and one half pounds suet, chopped. Three pounds chopped apples. One pound sugar. One cup molasses. One pint boiled cider. One tablespoonful each of mace, allspice, cinnamon, one half tablespoon cloves, one quarter cup salt, one nutmeg, one and a half pounds seeded raisins, one and a half pounds currants. Cook slowly until the apples are done, then add juice and grated rind of one lemon, one half pound citron cut fine, one cup brandy, and one cup wine. If one objects to the brandy and wine, coffee may be substituted using lemon and orange juice for needed acid, or one may use more boiled cider. Use rather a deep plate. Make pies with chopped paste, which is pastry, and that comes up in a minute. Before putting on top crust, it is well to add a little butter, sugar, and raisins. Wet the edges of the pastry before putting on top crust to keep liquor in. Wet the top around the edge and put on a narrow rim of puff paste. Put rim on rather loose as it will shrink. Now here's the chopped paste. I was looking at this and I'm like, chop paste. And the only thing that I could think of was that paste that you use in like kindergarten and little kids eat and get in trouble for eating. And then I read through it about five times before I figured out all they really want me to do is make a pie crust. So here we go. Chop paste, which is chopped pastry. Put two cups flour into a chopping bowl. Add one half teaspoon salt and one cup of butter. Chop well. Moisten to a stiff dough with ice water. Roll out and then roll up like a jelly roll. Keep on ice until ready to use. Chop flour, butter, and salt in tray until thoroughly mixed. Add the ice water. Pound with rolling pin until inch thick. Roll as thin as crust for any pie as needed. One half lard instead of butter may be used, which will need a little more flour. There you go. Now, Thanksgiving pumpkin pie without eggs. Everybody needs a pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. Cut the pumpkin in small pieces and boil slowly till the pulp is dry. Rub through a colander for one pie. Take one cup of pulp, one large tablespoon of flour, one cup sugar. One half pint of milk or cream, spice with nutmeg and ginger, a little salt. Now, this sounds so cool to me. It's sweet Marlborough pie, which I guess must be the town it comes from. Procure sweet, mellow apples, pare and grate them. To a pint of the grated pulp, put a pint of milk, two eggs, two tablespoons of melted butter, the grated peel of a lemon, and a wine glass of brandy sweetened to taste with nice brown sugar. The eggs should be beaten to a froth, then the sugar stirred into them and mixed with the rest of the ingredients. Bake pies in a deep plate without upper crust. The article also discusses non-baked desserts that were created in England before the colonizers came over to the North American continent. And this is really interesting. Remember that intro paragraph that this uh, woman who writes this page wrote? One is called a whip syllabub. According to Wikipedia, syllabub is an English sweet, frothy drink, which was popular from the 16th to the 19th centuries. And there's a dessert based on it, which apparently people still eat. The Boston Globe had a recipe for Thanksgiving. Whip syllabub. Take a good sweet cream. To each pint, put six ounces of double refined powdered sugar, half a tumbler of white wine, and the juice and grated rind of a lemon. Beat the whole well together. Just jelly in glasses and fill them with the froth as fast as it rises. Seems odd, but okay, that's what it says. Now the other one is snow cream. And snow cream came from the 17th century in England, so it came over with the original colonizers. I looked around for recipes, and basically it's an early version of ice cream or a snow cone that you can only make when there's snow on the ground. It's made with warmed milk and sugar and vanilla, and it's all stirred together, and then that's chilled until snow was ready to be mixed in with it. Here's the Boston Globes recipe for Thanksgiving, though they don't mention any snow. They say, beat the whites of four eggs to a stiff froth. Stir in two tablespoons of powdered sugar, one tablespoon of sweet wine, and a teaspoon of rose water. Beat all together, then add a pint of thick cream. Very delicious. So that's early ice cream. So now we know what their leftovers looked like. Aren't you glad you had yours instead? (laughs) That's our foray into Thanksgiving food for the year, my friends. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that it was an interesting window into the past for you. I will be doing a Hanukkah episode. We will be talking about why I'm not talking about Kwanzaa. (laughs) I will be doing a couple of Christmas episodes. And I've still got a lot of other regular teaching episodes coming up. So that's pretty awesome also i want to encourage you to participate at patreon because for as little as a dollar a month which is what 25 cents a week come on y'all you can be a part of the discussion you can give me questions to ask future interviewees you can participate by making suggestions for future episodes and really weigh in on things that are happening here That's particularly important because while most of my listeners are here in the United States, I did happen to notice that Australia, a lot of y'all have downloaded, and it's very exciting to me, but I don't know what your specific issues are, and I want to hear from you about that. Canada, same for you. UK, same for you. And Germany, you're bringing up number five spot, and I want to hear from you as well. So please, please participate with us. A dollar a month. $2 a month, whatever, come and join us and be a part of what it is that's happening here so that you can have your interests represented so that I can gear lessons that are toward your interests. I can gear interviews from people who represent your interests and that are from your country and that work with your country's records. That's the kind of work that I want to do moving forward. So please be a part of that, okay? So, everybody, have a great week. I'll be talking to you soon. Don't be a Jeffrey and expect surprises.